Hello and welcome to the 27th episode of iPhone Life Podcast. I'm David Aberbach, CEO and publisher of iPhone Life Magazine. I'm Donna Cleveland, editor-in-chief of iPhone Life Magazine. And I'm Sarah Kingsbury, senior web editor of iPhoneLife.com. Each week, we give you the latest Apple news, top tips, best apps, great gear, and we've got a great show for you this week. As always, we're going to do FBI versus Apple part two. We've got an interview with a lawyer, so actual expert on on what's going on here. Uh, And we're also going to go over uh, latest Apple news, including the uh, rumor rumors of the upcoming announcement and as always give you our favorite apps and gear and insider tips. Um, Before we get started though, let me take a minute to tell you about iPhone Life Tip of the Day. iPhone Life Tip of the Day is our free newsletter uh, and what you get is an email every day telling you how how you can get the most out of your iPhone. So go to iphonelife.com slash daily tip to subscribe for free. And Donna, what was your favorite tip from this week? My favorite tip was teaching me how to cancel a Siri request. So I knew one way, but there's actually another way that in some situations is even more handy. So if you make a Siri request and Siri either misunderstands you or you just realize you actually didn't need to ask that question, you can either press the home button, which is what I've usually been doing, or you can tap the Siri icon and say cancel. And that the second way is I had never really used before. And I thought that could be kind of handy. Is there some advantage to one versus the other, like as to why you would tap the Siri button instead of hitting the home button? I think pressing the home button is the probably fastest way. But um, I mean, it seems like you could say, hey, Siri, cancel in there for cancel a request from across the room if you're using yeah, hey Siri. Because I do use Siri sometimes if I'm cooking and things like that. And it's... Yeah, I don't really want to touch the screen. Also, I wonder, sometimes you have like a series of Siri questions. Like you'll ask a question and then you'll like have a follow-up, like a text message, for example, where you'll be like, text so-and-so and then it'll say, what do you want to say? And then you say the wrong thing. I wonder if you could be like, hey, cancel that last part, but keep the first part sort of a thing. Yeah, you can also, you can tap the Siri icon and say change to and and give a different request. So, yeah. Okay, so that would be a good use case. Because sometimes it happens yeah. to me where it's like, I've gotten Siri halfway to the point I, I, I want to get to, and then I have to cancel the whole thing and start I over. I know, yeah. All right. Uh, and so next up, we're going to talk about insider questions and if you haven't signed up to iphone life insider yet make sure you check it out it's our premium subscription service in addition to getting a video tip every day we'll email you a tip with a video showing you how to do something cool you also get in-depth video guides our latest one what are we coming out with this week donna uh 3d touch Tips. Ah, yeah. so 3D touch video guide. I need guide. to watch that. I yeah. always forget to use it. <laughs> um, so we come out with video guides teaching you how to do the latest, coolest stuff with your iPhone. Uh, in addition to that, you get a digital subscription to the magazine, and you get to ask us questions. So Sarah, what was your favorite question from this week? Uh, this one was from Peter, and actually this is related to Siri too, so this is a good one. Um, he says, thanks for all your insider info, love it, and the newsletters. I would like to be able to answer a call with a text without my intervention, like when driving. Is there a way to use a setting or Siri to answer a call automatically with a text message? Um, unfortunately, the answer is actually no, mm-hmm. um, but there is a workaround. And you really should be able to say, hey, Siri, answer that call with a text message, don't you think? Well, yeah. Well, especially, I mean, we were talking about this before the podcast, with, with CarPlay especially, you should be able to do that. Because you're driving and it's you, you want to be hands-free with it. Right. There are some Android phones that have a setting. and uh, But actually, I have a friend who has an Android phone who really hates this because anytime you text him when he's driving, it'll be like, Clint is driving right now. Oh, so now I've said who my friend is. <laughs> but he doesn't know how to disable it. Then uh, <laughs> he didn't really, I think he didn't realize that that was a setting on his phone and was very confused. And people are like, oh, you're driving? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might. It'd be nice to be able to like at least customize oh, that. Oh, wait. So it auto-texts. Like if you yes. drive, oh, so like it will not allow him to answer the phone while driving and it auto texts back. Yes. That is See, really obnoxious. Mm-hmm. It is obnoxious because you could, for instance, have it on speakerphone. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, or have don't... Siri, well, in the case of an Android, not Siri, but you could have Siri read you the text message or 
you know, so it's not like you can't yeah. communicate at all I mean, when you're in your car. My understanding is texting and driving is a no-go. You definitely shouldn't do it. But talking on the phone while driving is, like, if it's hands-free, is somewhat acceptable, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I try yeah. to minimize all of that while I drive. But hands-free, like, I sometimes use my Apple Watch. But anyway, do you want to hear what I told... Yeah, we got off on a tangent there. (laughs) What did you tell Peter? (laughs) So um, I suggested a workaround where basically you, without taking your eyes off the road, obviously just press the sleep-wake button twice to send the call to voice message, uh, sorry, to voicemail. And then you can say, you'd have to have Hey Siri enabled, and if you have an older phone, you have to have it like plugged in or in a battery case. But then you can say, Hey Siri, who just called? And Siri will tell you. And then you can either have Siri play you the voicemail or and you, you can say, hey, Siri, text that person and then tell them I'm driving or I'm on my way or whatever it is you want to say. And you can do that mm-hmm. with, besides the initial, <laughs> I just activated, hey, Siri, you can, besides the initial, you know, uh, double click on the sleep wake button, which you can do by feel, you are basically hands free. And it's ridiculous that you can't just say, hey, Siri text that person who's calling that I'm driving mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. So you can do this, but you you just have to wait until the call is over. So you have to sit there and wait. Or you can double click it to send it straight to voicemail. But if you really want to be fully hands-free, yeah, you just have so, to, yeah. yeah. Um, and just to preface this, because some people may not realize, this is a feature that Apple has. It's not hands-free, but when somebody's calling, you can tap reply with text on the screen if, if you're not driving. So you can do this when you're not driving, but he wanted to know how to do it in a hands-free way. Right, and actually, and you can, and Apple actually has provided some sort of standard text replies that you could mm-hmm. send, but and you can also customize those. But yeah, hands-free is always the way to go when you're communicating in your car. Yeah, and eyes-free in particular. <laughs> yeah, keep your eyes on the road and your hands on the wheel. Mm-hmm. The rest of us... Well, thank you. Yeah, I actually, this, it's a depressing stat, but I'll give it to you guys because I was, uh, I wrote an article in the upcoming issue of iPhone Life magazine. We have a magazine, which you can subscribe to if you go to iphonelife.com slash subscribe. Mm-hmm. See that smooth plug there? Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote an article about CarPlay because I just got a CarPlay unit. And so I was researching some statistics. Texting while driving is now the number one cause of death for teenagers in the U.S., don't say that. My daughter's going to get her license next month. Well, <laughs> yeah. drill that into her or get her car play because that is a scary statistic. It is. And it, sadly, it doesn't really surprise me yeah. either. Yeah, not I at think all. it is. It's like, well, especially teenagers don't make phone calls. They text only. I mean, yeah. if anytime I've suggested, how about you just call that person? It would be faster to just talk to them. No, never. They look like I've suggested that they just, you know, run around outside naked or something. Like, it's so just... It's like beyond their comprehension, yeah. Yeah. If you call them, you have to text them first, say, hey, can I call you now? <laughs> yeah, it's so a funny. weird protocol from for millennials. Um, all right. Is that, that's our, t- that's our inside that's question, That's our inside huh? question. Okay. My response to him was longer, but um, I didn't read you my whole response. I just told you guys what I told him. Fair enough. All right, time for our what we learned slash complaints for the week. Um, who wants to go first? Sarah, what was your... I, I, I'm assuming it's a... Com- oh, no, you actually learned something this week. <laughs> I did. Um, I have... Because I have family sharing set up... I mean, you don't have to have family sharing set up for this, but I have my kids connected with me on Find My Friends, which means all of us are sharing our locations with each other all the time. And I don't use it that much because... I think it's creepy. Like mm-hmm. it's a creepy feat. I think we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. But um, I did discover that I can, in the notification view, as long as my phone's unlocked, Apple won't show you if your phone's unlocked, which is nice because you don't want some random person to be able to see. But in the notifications view, if you swipe down from the top of your screen, um, you can see anyone you have are sharing your location with on Find My Friends. You can see where they are in the notification view. Um, so that's kind of handy. Uh, but I also realized my daughter went to watch a band play this weekend and she was going to get back late and I didn't want to wait up for her, but I did want to know when she mm-hmm. got home. I set a notification so that when she uh, arrived home, I, it, my phone notified me and then I just you know got up and made sure she locked the door, which she hadn't, and then <laughs> was able to just go back to bed and like knowing she was safely home. 
So that was cool. That's really cool. Yeah, and that's also nice because then you don't have to necessarily be tracking her all that time, but you just know that you'll get notified when she's home. Right. So that was handy. I mean, that was definitely the rule for me growing up was like, let me know when you change locations, if you go someplace new. And so it seems like Mm -hmm. it had I been growing up recently, this would have been something that my my parents could have just been auto notified and I wouldn't have had to call them. Yeah, she's such a responsible kid, except for the locking the door part. You know, she texted (laughs) Mm -hmm. me when they were leaving, so I knew when she was going to be home. But, you know, it's still, if your kid doesn't always let you know, sometimes they forget or, you know. This could be a good tip, too, if you have a kid who sneaks out. (laughs) (laughs) Just sending you a notification every time they leave the house. Uh Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, this ties into, and we don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because we did a parenting podcast. For for those of you who want to go down this rabbit hole, definitely go back and listen to it. But it's such an interesting age because it It is like, where is the line in this? It's like, it can be kind of creepy to like stalk your children in this way. Well, I really don't. And I'm probably because I do feel like kids deserve privacy. And Mm -hmm. I mean, but you know, you have to parent according to your kid also. Like some kids, maybe you do need to keep closer track of. I don't know. I know. Like, does this fall into the same category as like reading your child's diary if you're tracking their location all the time? I've never done that. Or is it that much more reasonable? Worse. That seems worse because that's like reading their internal thoughts as opposed to like external like locations. Yeah, there's well, much yeah, more of a see, practical I use for tracking locations. Parents have a right to ask their kids to like let them know where they are. I mean, I think you should know where your kids are. Mm-hmm. That's true. But I also don't think you need to like monitor it constantly. Yeah. Well, and I'm also thinking for this feature in terms of other uses because. I'm just curious about it. Like, I'm trying to think in some ways that would be Find My Friends wasn't designed strictly for parenting. And this would be a useful feature for like friends or a partner or something like that to say like, oh, well, it'll notify me when you leave. So I know you're on your way over here or something like that. But it just seems creepy. Like, I don't think I would use Find My Friends with my friends or a partner. Well, you the guys? nice thing is you can share your location. I think we talked about this before. You can share the location for a limited amount of time. Mm-hmm. So say you're hanging out with friends and maybe you're at some kind of festival or something where you might, like, sort of meet at certain times and separate at certain times and you might want to, like, find each other or... Mm-hmm. That can be handy, and then it's automatically stopped sharing after a certain amount of time. And that, I think, is the only kind of limited circumstances in which I would share my location with. Yeah. I've never been in a situation where I've needed find my friends. I feel like if like having kids, that's the most practical application I can think of, but I've never had any reason to use it just for something like that, like what you mentioned. And I also have friends who use it in relationships to track each other and it's always seemed kind of weird to me and it's caused Super some problems. Cre- it's, so it, it has guess, caused problems. This isn't just like yeah, a hypothetical. No, like talking, speaking of all this, these privacy concerns with the Apple versus <laughs> I, the FBI, I, have, I value my privacy. Yeah. I have, yeah, I have really mixed feelings about find my friends. And the whole argument of like having nothing to hide, I think that's not what it's about. Uh, yeah, I hate that argument. It's yeah. not about not having anything to hide. It's like you just don't, you don't want that level of like intervention. Well, well, because it says that there's no trust and Mm -hmm. what's a relationship without trust. Yes, exactly. Okay. Let's, let's, that's as far down the rabbit hole. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Well, here's what I, here was what, this is slash learn and complaint. It's both. Um, In previous podcasts and in the magazine, I have recommended using a service called eBay valet. Uh, And what eBay valet does is basically, you ship your product to eBay. It's like a special service that eBay has, and they will list and sell the product for you and send you the money. And they charge you, I think it's like 20%, which is pretty reasonable considering eBay usually charges you like, I don't know, 10 or 15%, including PayPal fee, because that's all inclusive of PayPal fees and all the fees. So it was pretty reasonable given that you had to do way less work. So I'd mm-hmm. recommended it in previous podcasts. I recently did it. I sent them two iPhones and a Kindle to sell. And it was the worst experience I've had. It was really? awful. Okay. What happened? Well, first of all, they sent me back my Kindle, told me it was broken because on the way, the Kindle had, the battery had died uh, and they just didn't charge it. 
So they shipped me back the Kindle, said it was broken rather than trying to, you know, plug it into a charger. Then I shipped it back to them again and ex- charged it, shipped it back to them. They took about three to four months to do this, like really way beyond what is a reasonable period of time to do this. Wow. They never sold my iPhone 5S, which I would have thought would have been somewhat easy to sell. Mm-hmm. Um they sold the i the iPhone 5 just fine, so no complaints there. Then they sold my Kindle, which was a Kindle Paperwhite, which based on searches and Amazon and eBay was worth about 100 to 150 bucks. They sold it for $20. What? Wow, are you kidding me? Like for 20 bucks, I would have kept the thing. Seriously. And I, I had no say in it. I had no response. They, they never contacted me in any way. So moral of the story... I do. I no longer recommend Kindle or eBay Valet. It was a really awful experience. Well, that's really good to know because I sell on eBay sometimes, and I I don't think it's that inconvenient to do it myself. And I think I'll continue to do that. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's what I'm gonna do now. I, and it's like I'm just. It's like like the little bit of extra work always is a barrier for me to do it, and then mm-hmm. I end up it ends up sitting around. Like now I have this iPhone that I need to resell that I still haven't listed. Um, so it was kind of nice, and I was willing to pay a little bit extra for it. But like what you're doing is you're paying extra for the s- customer service, really. So if they don't have customer service, mm. it's not worth it. Yeah, well, I have an idea of what you can do with that iPhone 5S. Um, we had one of our readers send in a, me- a message to us asking for an iPhone 5. <laughs> Being like, I know this is a weird thing to ask and you're probably going to say no, but can you send me I, an iPhone? You know what? I get an, I get at least one email a week from somebody asking me for an <laughs> iPhone. It, what, and, and we have a giveaway, another convenient plug here, iphonelife.com slash giveaway and you can enter to win. And we give away like small things like, you know, iPhone cases or headphones or things like that. Not that small, but we're not giving away iPhones in this. Mm-hmm. And people get confused usually non-native English speakers and just think that it's just like we'll just give you an iPhone and this is the way for us to give you an iPhone so then they'll like email us and be like hey can I have an iPhone and I actually then had one person email me a week later and be like actually never mind I don't want an iPhone (laughs) 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 sorry I I derailed us there go ahead Donna (laughs) oh learning and complaints really um this weekend, last weekend, was the first time I'd used my Apple Watch to control my Bluetooth speaker. Mm-hmm. And that was fun. I mean, my iPhone connected to my Bluetooth speaker. So yeah. I had a brunch party at my house. And it was just kind of fun being able to control my playlist for my Apple Watch. And it also impressed people who were there. <laughs> They're like, whoa, welcome to 2016. Uh-huh, That's like uh-huh. changing songs. Um, and that was nice. I had it set up as one of my glances. Oh, yeah. Um, so I just would, you know, swipe up on my Apple Watch screen and hit next if I wanted to skip a song. Yeah, it's one. Of, I actually don't use that feature as much as I should. I always kind of forget that I can control it from my iPhone, and then I yeah. um, have trouble. Also, this is I'm going to add an extra complaint in here. Spotify doesn't have an Apple Watch app, and since I'm usually what? yeah, it's the worst. But you can still control. Yeah, I mean because the. It's just, there's that glance that's basically just play, whatever's playing on your phone. Yeah, but the yeah. controls are a little bit less. Like, I can't go back to the playlist, see all the songs, and skip three songs in advance. I can just put play, pause, skip track. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I had a playlist on shuffle play, and I and I mm-hmm, could just mm-hmm. skip through to the next song. That was it. Yeah. Right. Still, still pretty convenient, though. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm going to derail this one more time here. What do you guys have as your glances for Apple Watch? Oh, jeez. Um... Let's see. I have besides the stock ones, I don't actually I think the only one I have that's not a stock one is for Clue, which is a, a like a menstrual cycle tracking app and that I love. Yeah, I think you've talked about it in previous podcasts. I have to stop myself from talking about it all the time. It's the best <laughs> and it's not pink, which is also greatly appreciated since I, like- I am not six. I like dark sky. It, oh, it's like yeah. a micro weather, so it tells you what's going to be happening in the next few minutes mm-hmm. in terms of weather. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what I have. I have, I have. Well, right now it's telling me the time, but it's because when I was in New Zealand, I had the time in the U.S., so I could oh, quickly look. That's a good idea. And not have to do mental math, which was nice. Um, and then songs, exercise, calendar. Yeah, just the normal heart rate, battery. Yeah, 
Yeah, nothing that exciting, actually. But the time, that's a good one. That would have been handy when I was in India as well. because like the even, world clock one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, moving right along. Let's get into some of our news items here. Oh, wait, actually, before we get into news, we usually do apps and gear, huh? Sure. I don't know the order anymore. I forgot. <laughs> Donna, give us an apps and gear that you've been using this week, apps or gear. I, there's a really great wireless charging case, Spigen. Like I mentioned, complaining last podcast that you can't wirelessly charge your phone, that that's not built in. Mm-hmm. But this is a really great case. It's it's kind of a more masculine look. Um, my husband's using it. And it's just a, um, it's like pretty slim for holding the wireless charging capabilities. And then you can, if you have a wireless charging pad, you can just rest it on there instead of plugging it in. Uh, the only thing about it is it has like kind of a, deep side so you have to have like long fingernails in order to hit the sleep wake button or not the sleep wake uh the silent switch Uh. and so that works for me but for him he (laughs) he bites his nails so he has these like nubs and he like can't fit it (laughs) it's so it's so funny how there's just somehow we just there's no way to not reveal like really weird private information about everybody mad at me (laughs) okay but the case and, and then you can do induct of charging huh yeah so he he has that in his uh toyota 4runner so like a little wireless charging pad so he can just rest it on there and charge it cool it's pretty cool yeah and i mean the problem like i really like the idea of inductive charging but with iphone it's like you is the case bulky because that's where i've always no see it's it's like that's the thing that i was the most impressed by is it's a really nice looking case and it seems pretty protective and i mean it's it has a little bit of bulk to it but not i mean it it looks nice it still looks like an iphone it's it's not gonna be like heavier or anything like that okay yeah because that's That's where i always stop short yeah no i think you would like it Okay. okay. Well, I mean, I don't have any case on my phone right now, so I'm not a good demographic. Uh, actually, you might not like it. I wouldn't, but I, those who use cases would. Do you have fingernails? I, I, I don't bite my nails too much. <laughs> Thanks for asking, Donna. <laughs> okay, Sarah? I don't bite my nails. Okay, yeah, good. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> um, I have been liking the Fiber app, which basically just lets you make international calls and messages. I mean, they don't have to be international um, but it basically lets you send calls and messages over Wi-Fi, which is really handy. My parents have been spending the winter in Mexico, and mm-hmm. and it's nice because like we sometimes Skype each other, but I don't always realize that they're Skyping me. But mm-hmm. the just the way the Viber notifications are set up, it's almost as if my phone is ringing or mm-hmm. buzzing, just like when I get phone calls through the phone app and so that's really handy for staying in touch now do they have iphones they must have androids my mom has an iphone an older iphone okay because i always think of whenever i travel i think about doing that another one that's really popular is whatsapp which is owned by facebook right Uh, have you used whatsapp I haven't, but that was recommended as another option, but I was too lazy to download two apps. <laughs> that's what I But use. you don't okay. have to have an iPhone. That's another thing because you, otherwise you could FaceTime, right? Yeah, well, that's what I was getting ready to say. But if your friends have an iPhone, and uh, then you can FaceTime either or send iMessages, so you don't need an external app. Right. Yeah, so this is really handy also if you want, like FaceTiming, but someone you know doesn't mm-hmm. have an iPhone for some reason. Then. Weird. Why do you know people like that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that, yeah, that, it's always an interesting one with, with trying to make phone calls out of country. The other option, too, that I use a lot is just Facebook Messenger. You can do phone calls and messages through that. Yeah. Um, well, my husband, who's not in the country also, doesn't do Facebook. Mm. He doesn't have an iPhone and he doesn't do Facebook. So Yeah. So lots of options out there for you guys to check out. WhatsApp, uh, Viber, and Facebook Messenger, or only be friends with people who have iPhone and then you don't need any extra apps. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> which That's is actually more or less what I did when I traveled. I re- <laughs> I like went to like figure out which app I was going to use and I realized I don't think I have very many friends who have Android, so it wasn't a problem. You're an iPhone snob? Y- yeah, apparently. That's so funny. Eye snob. <laughs> Would that be like a deal breaker for you, David? Like dating? You'd be like, do you have an iPhone? <laughs> the, 
the last person I dated had an Android. Uh, like, this is and a she, deal breaker. She switched <laughs> in, in, throughout our relationship. Eventually, I convinced her to switch like, to an iPhone. If but you really like late. the girl, you'll be like, I'll buy you an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go, readers. If you are one of those people who emails us asking for iPhones, the trick is date David. <laughs> I never. I didn't buy her the iPhone. <laughs> We're just teasing Okay. That <laughs> she didn't like it either, and that was even worse. She, oh. And then, then like, if she liked Android, it was okay. But, like, she had the iPhone and didn't <laughs> like it. Then what? we had a problem, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving right along here. Um, <laughs> so my product that I actually have been using for a while now but haven't had a chance to talk about it much on the show is the iHome Smart Plug. Have I told you guys about this? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, well, <laughs> clearly I like Sarah more than Donna. So what I do is I have a Nest, which I love, and I've talked about it in uh, previous podcasts. Which is a smart <laughs> the thermometer. or wait, Thermostat. Thermostat. Smart thermostat, no, thermostat. yes. But somehow when you're saying I have a Nest. I have a Nest. <laughs> I love my Nest. It's better than a house because it's just made of sticks. <laughs> it's where I keep my eggs. <laughs> I feel like we needed to clarify. No, that, that, that was a nice interruption there to clarify. So I have a Nest thermostat. Yeah. I know. When I was being a smartass, I probably should have like said the right word. <laughs> it, it definitely made you sound less smartassy. <laughs> um, so I have an S thermostat, and it's programmed to automatically turn the temperature of my house down at night, uh, which I have a really big house. It was built in 1900, uh, and so it gets really cold in there, and I don't want to heat the whole house when I'm just in my bedroom. So what I do is it turns down the thermostat, at night, uh, and the smart plug automatically turns on at the same time, which is connected to my uh, heater. I have like a little space heater in my room. And so it's this really nice thing where I don't have to pay to eat the whole house, but yet I come home and my room is still warm and not freezing. So I'm all for not freezing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it was one of those things where I, I, I hadn't found a good use case for these smart plugs but this was a really good one uh i really liked the iHome smart plug too is really quick and easy to set up their app works really well uh and i haven't had any problems with it so i've been really happy with that the only thing i'll say though with the smart plugs is that um you have to be it only works for certain appliances because i was going to get it for like my my like lamp by my bed and have it turn on but then i realized there's this annoying thing where sometimes i want to turn it on just while i'm like reading in bed and then turn it off and it's like suddenly i have two levels of controls i have like the light on and Uh, off and then i also mm -hmm. have the uh the like smart plug being on and off whereas my heater i can just leave on all the time and the smart plug controls it yeah, I had someone, I wrote a review of the Belkin smart switch, so mm-hmm. I've used something similar. And um, one of our readers wrote in being like, that's awesome. I want to use that for my computer to turn it on and off. But unless it's a, an appliance that has like an on-off switch, it's not going to work. Yeah, exactly. Well, I had that same it problem. it has to be on the on position and then it's mm-hmm. just controlling the wall outlet. Yeah, well, I was really excited because I got two smart plugs and the other one was plugged into my thermostat because we live in Iowa and it's freezing. Fun, fun stat, the average house in Iowa is drier than the Sahara Desert in the winter. <laughs> the average house in the winter. Um, so I believe it. Yeah. I, I believe that. <laughs> that explains some of the skin problems. Yeah. So I have a... Th- I have a um, I'm blanking on the word I just said. A humidifier in my room. I have a humidifier in my room, which is plugged into a smart plug, but the problem is it doesn't have an on-off switch. So I had this whole thing where I thought I'd be able to create like a scene in my room and they would turn on at the same time, but the humidifier doesn't work very well is the problem. That's too bad. I kind of think I would like to get a smart plug for my rice cooker Mm -hmm. because Mm. then I could have like freshly made rice waiting for me when I get home and just quickly have dinner. Well, and I think that uh belkin might have a rice cooker actually that is like has wemo built in Don, is that true cooker yeah uh, which so it's not can, a i don't rice know cooker? i guess you could maybe use for rice i don't know i don't know i mean my rice cooker has an on off switch so it seems like i could yeah. do it yeah. yeah but then like yeah having a smart i think we all know that i really want a smart like slow cooker too <laughs> yeah I just come home and there's like food waiting and i can just my rice cooker has a timer built in so you can just set a timer on it. All right. Well, 
my mom bought my rice cooker uh, for me, and uh, she was more concerned that it be non like not be nonstick, that it be like yeah, stainless yeah, yeah, steel, yeah, yeah. so that mm. you know. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So that was my product that I used. Should we move into news? Let's get into it. Um, Apple now has a Twitter support page. What's up with that, Donna? So I'm just checking right now to see if they responded to my question. Mm. Uh, so Twitter, I mean, Apple now has a Twitter support page where you can write in questions if you're having any technical issues, and they also post tips there. So far, it's been like a little more than a week, I think, and they don't, it's like a few tips that are that are nice to know, but I think the more powerful part of it is that you can write in and ask questions that you're having. Mm-hmm. So about two hours ago, I asked a question I haven't heard back yet. Um, they are, they said they'll have people, um, answering questions between 5am and 8pm Pacific standard time. I just wonder because like some questions you can answer really quickly, or mm-hmm. maybe they're just going to send links to Apple support pages. I know that's some, my Some suspicion. questions require some back and forth and some questions require like a lot more than 140 characters. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So I feel like it's definitely limited, but it is another way. Like if you don't really want to go to, or you're not near an Apple store and you don't feel like getting on the phone on a long conversation, um, it seems like a nice thing to be able to use. But yeah, I'll, I'll definitely in the next podcast, let you guys know how long it took them to get back to me and what the experience was like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and cause there's a whole class of problems that you're not necessarily going to call like Apple customer service for. Like that's more like your phone breaks and won't turn on. But if you're trying to figure out, like, I don't know, some little setting feature in iOS 9.2, usually you wouldn't go through that. But I could see tweeting them as a viable thing that I would do for something mm-hmm. like that. And I think they, they ask you when they respond to direct message them, um, which kind of makes sense. They're not having these long threads on there. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, and then in direct message, are you limited to the 140 characters? Do you know? I don't believe so. So there you go. That might solve yeah, that one. I'm not sure. Cool. Well, let us know. Because definitely, I mean, this is an area, obviously, we have been working to help people on as well with iPhone Life Insider is mm-hmm. answering those type of questions. Things like, you know, what's the best app for so-and-so or, or for doing something or the questions we feature every week on the podcast. So I'm curious to see, you know, if Apple's stepping up and able to help people in this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, we have an announcement rumored to be happening in March. What's the latest on that, Sarah? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many of them, it's like hard to keep track. Uh, so it, they're talking about there being an iPhone SE, which is interesting because there's no number in that name. Mm. And that would be the four-inch iPhone that would be a kind of, um, you know, sort of fixed up iPhone S, like with a lot of the capabilities of the iPhone 6 and 6S, but smaller. And they're talking about a smaller iPad Pro, like a 10-inch iPad Pro, and new Apple Watch bands, but no new Apple Watch. So I kind of want there to be a new Apple Watch. Me too. This is like feeling like one of the least exciting announcements coming up. It's like the whole premise of the announcement is, we made the same things we usually make, but in slightly different sizes. <laughs> I know. The yeah. iPhone SE, I'm more excited about than the iPad Pro. Really? I'm confused by the new yeah. iPad Pro size, actually. I don't know why they're doing it. Well, I mean, have you guys like seen or interacted with the iPad Pros? They're so big. They're like unwieldingly big. They are big, yeah. So I would, like, when I saw one, like, some, I was in a meeting recently and somebody pulled one out to take notes and it's just looked like it looked like a joke product like it looked <laughs> it didn't look like something to be taken seriously so i would definitely consider it's a laptop 10 inch. size yeah yeah, yeah. but something about a tablet being laptop size just feels so weird yeah, yeah it, it well, makes the most sense with the keyboard i think what i'm most confused about actually is not that there's a smaller ipad pro but kind of that they didn't do it in the beginning mm-hmm. because not that many i mean not that many people need if you really need an ipad pro that big maybe you should get a laptop so I think what's weird for me is how big is the iPad Air? It's almost 10 inches. Yeah, it's like 9.7 inches, right? Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'll be curious to see how they differentiate the iPad Pro I from know. the iPad Air if they're presumably going to be the same size. Yeah, it seem, I'm not quite seeing the logic here in terms of... I mean, maybe they're just wanting to play upon the success of the iPad Air and create a product that, that works similarly. I don't know. 
I mean, I was kind of disappointed that the smaller iPads weren't getting some of these features. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it makes sense that they do come to the smaller iPads. Yeah, but are they going to update the iPad Air with some of those features or have an iPad Pro and then an iPad Air? I don't know. One of the things that's just strange to me, like the the kind of classic story of Steve Jobs when he came back to Apple was they had like something like a hundred different product lines and he just cut it down to four mm-hmm. products. And that was like the new improved Apple and the Steve Jobs way of things. And it seems like since Tim Cook t- has taken over... They've slowly ballooned into like how many different sizes of everything do we have, and it's like it's I know. getting confusing. There right isn't now. that same kind of elegant simplicity. Yeah, anymore. we have an iPad. We have like we're gonna have a smaller iPhone, whatever it ends up being called. So three sizes. Yeah, three sizes of iPhone, then an iPad Mini, an iPad Air, an iPad Pro, a mm-hmm. MacBook, a MacBook Air, a MacBook Pro. It's like. There's so many different sizes and screens and options, and maybe that's nice, but I feel like it's actually confusing to people. I know. It is. Well, I think presumably we'll get into this one a little bit more after the announcement and we know more. I think from our conversation so far, though, I'm the most excited about the iPhone SE Mm -hmm. of everybody here, just because I know a lot of people who really like the smaller screen and getting the, you know, at least most of the premium features with the smaller screen will be appealing to a lot of people. Yeah, I don't think I would have gone up to the larger size if I'd had a choice. Yeah, and I'm kind of excited about like the uh, pendulum swinging back towards smaller screens again because I feel like it was just starting to get a little ridiculous with yeah. all of the phablets and you know just the idea that having a larger screen always meant better. Mm-hmm. That's better. Now that you have switched, Sarah, would you go back to the smaller screen? I don't know. I think I'd have to hold them both my hand i mean i'm assuming it's going to be thinner than the mm-hmm. 5s mm-hmm. maybe because my yeah, theory it's supposed to, to be see. about the same thickness as the iphone 6 i think my theory yeah. is most of the people who i talk to who prefer the smaller screen are people who have the smaller screen and haven't switched i've talked to very few people who made the switch and then were unhappy with the bigger screen I feel like the iPhone 6 doesn't fit in my hand as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. like people come in different sizes and that's, <laughs> if it's something you're holding all the time, that is something to consider. No, definitely, definitely. But I don't know. Uh, it definitely is less convenient for using the phone with one hand. But having the bigger screen is nice, regardless of size of person. That's true. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now let's move on to... Our main topic, which is the Apple versus FBI part two, and we have some updates for you, and then we're going to get into an interview we did with a law professor who can hopefully shed some more clarity on this issue. Um, Before we get started, though, let me, we promised to read some letters, so let me read to you guys an email, and this is from Javier. Javier says, one thing that was not mentioned is that the FBI wanted to get the backup wanted to get the phone to back up and restore. This open this opens the question that backup da- data is no longer in the phone and should they have access to request that or not. Another topic that was touched was related to cars. Some cars have cell cards and satellite tracking. Would we all feel comfortable knowing that the FBI um, where we are at any moment, well, knowing that the FBI would know where we're at at any moment and when we get home, listen through our Nest cams or all these other smart devices, aside from just knowing what we purchased online and all the other things that they know from the cloud. So, oh, and then he, fi- he finished by saying, that's why companies need to fight privacy because each day we rely more and more on digital world and cloud services, and we all have the expectation that it's our privacy and it cannot be abused. Um, so thoughts on what Javier said before we move on. Yeah, I mean, I I think that, you know, the FBI has had access to the iCloud backups from that phone. He just, the terrorist stopped, up, stopped backing the phone up in October. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. So that was like a, a few, like six weeks before the, the attack. So I, I don't think it's unreasonable for the FBI to want those backups and Apple did cooperate, but that's a little different from you know encrypted data on the phone and forcing Apple to uh, 
basically write software to hack their own device. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think these are great points that Javier has made. And uh, really, Apple or the government already does have quite a few tools to get information that they need in these cases. Like, actually, this case has made me realize how much they can get access mm -hmm. to that actually, like, already is a little bit disturbing. Mm -hmm. uh, so, like, iCloud, for instance, iCloud backups, that's kind of a big deal. So, I completely agree that taking that to the next level uh, and the idea of you you know using home uh, surveillance systems it just makes you not want to use a lot more things if you feel like there's the potential for them to be hacked and for you to be spied on right I mean that's that's a real it could be a real problem and I, I think yeah Javier is very correct that people need to have their privacy you know, protected if they're going to use those things and companies. Yeah, because we're going to be using them increasingly. Have a really strong profit motivation to protect our privacy because otherwise yeah. nobody's going to buy their products. Mm -hmm. That ties into the UN came out uh, last week in support of Apple uh, saying secure communications are fundamental to the exercise of freedom of opinion and expression in the digital age. So really coming out, um, even though, yes, it does give the opportunity for terrorists to potentially um, be able to hide certain information on their phones that really having uh, privacy and having security in that way was more important to our overall safety. So I thought that, I mean... Yeah, it's been interesting to see kind of where all the sides fall on this, where mm -hmm. who comes down on what side. And before, before we get into that, just to weigh in on what Javier said... Yeah, I, what, one of the things Donna and I, we were talking about earlier this week is really the only reason this is an issue is because the phone wasn't backed up to iCloud properly. Otherwise, mm -hmm. the FBI would have had access to everything. And most of us are backing up to iCloud. We are sending our emails through the, the web and through like cloud mm -hmm. services and things like that. And all of our app data is backed up. Uh-huh. And so really... I think this is this case to me is raising the issues of our lack of privacy that we already have. And I know. the like warrant for accessing my actual phone seems, if anything, less important than the privacy that's already been taken from us. So yeah, definitely and, and his point too is where do we draw the line as everything becomes smart? You know, can the FBI when we have self driving cars, can the FBI take control of our car and drive it for us? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. when our doors are unlocked by our computer, can they unlock it? You know, there's just like, where do you draw a line when everything becomes smart? Um, yeah. So, and then in terms of this, the FBI or the UN, like we just said, came down on the side of Apple. So did the former um, head of the NSA, I was really surprised, came down and siding with Apple. Did you guys hear about this? But tell us about it. Um, this was on, I think, Tom Ashbrook, and I think he did a few other interviews. And basically what he said, he, his logic was similar to the backdoor philosophy of, mm -hmm. yes, we are limiting the FBI's ability to monitor people, uh, but he, he thinks the biggest risk to our country right now is creating these softwares that can be hacked and forcing these companies to make that happen because then we're creating a backdoor that anybody can access and we don't have any security. So it was interesting to hear that because I somehow just assumed all law enforcement and government agencies would agree with the FBI, but that hasn't been the case. Yeah, one thing I heard about that was that people were like, oh, that's surprising and great, but also... Does that just mean that the NSA doesn't care because they already have found ways to get access to yeah. information? <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Okay, a few other quick updates before we get into this interview. What else has happened in this in the last two weeks since last time we talked? Well, uh, Apple's VP, Craig Federighi, uh, he wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post yesterday, I believe, mm -hmm. and he just pretty eloquently stated reasons why this was a concern for Apple. Um and that's gotten a lot of attention. It just seems like more and more people are coming out in uh, support of Apple. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, Apple's VP would. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but that's that's pretty much... Oh, well, just with the UN uh, specifically backed up Apple's statement that um, 
that this was a violation of their free speech, which mm. was something I was kind of looking at, like, really, can you consider code free speech? Mm-hmm. And that's something we'll be asking uh, the law professor that we'll be talking mm-hmm. to in this main section. Yeah. And the last thing that happened is I think it was the New York Supreme Court had a similar case that mm-hmm. they just ruled in favor of Apple, basically saying that the law enforcement in New York could not force Apple to do what the California Supreme Court is trying to force them to do. Yeah, using the All Writs Act. Yeah. So that doesn't bode so well for using the All Writs Act to get ac- to have the company's aid in mm-hmm. in the process. That decision is being appealed, though. Okay. Yeah. So it's not not over it's yet. It's definitely far from over. So yeah. okay, with that in mind, uh, let's cut over to this interview. So today we have Dr. Sean Jameson, professor of law at Concord Law School of Kaplan University, with us to speak with us and give a legal perspective about Apple's battle with the FBI over iPhone encryption. Welcome, Sean. Thank you. So to get started, I'm wondering if you can just give us an overview of the case up to this point for our readers who who might not know. Sure. Yeah, so what's going on um, as far as the California case, and I'm sure people are aware of, of the shooting in San Bernardino and um, that tragic circumstance. Um, it, at some point after that, the FBI applied for and got an order to get Apple not not just to assist, but actually build um, software that could be installed on an iPhone to defeat the um, the encryption on the iPhone, mm-hmm. um, and then. That's beyond what's been expected in the past. Now they've they filed um, many applications before, and Apple's cooperated in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is unusual, I guess, is is wh- why we're seeing this this showdown at this point. And there there are other cases pending. And um, if you want, I can talk about the case in New York as well. Yes. Well, I wanted to ask you next about the All Writs Act, which I know has come into play in the New York case. So could you first just explain what the All Writs Act is and how the FBI is attempting to use that? Yeah, so so All Writs, all Writs Act sorry, um, it goes all the way back to 1789, and the, um, the idea there was to make sure the courts had the power to enforce the laws within their, their jurisdiction. So in other words, if the court already had the right to act within a particular jurisdiction, they needed to have um, whatever additional um, uh, authority they needed to do that. Um, so, mm-hmm. so how it comes into play here is, um, you know, it's pretty unusual to actually ask a private party to perform an act um, that's really beyond just making information available. They're actually right. required them to do some work. Um, and that, that is, is actually contrary to their own self-interest because it could lower the value of their, their products. Right. Um, and, and so what's happened in the past with the All Writs Act, um, it, it's evolved from just being able to be used on courts and government agencies to private parties. Um, but in the past, it's been more along the lines of telling a, a uh, telephone company, you need to supply some, some assistance so we can put um, some what they call pen register that will track people's phone numbers, you know, who's calling whom. Hmm. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, that, that was a big deal too. But what they're asking Apple to do is, is really um, going beyond that. So I'm, I'm just wondering. I mean, how is Apple like? What basis are they using to fight it beyond just hey, this is unprecedented? Is there any other sort of argument they're making in court against this? Yeah, they've got a few. Um, so you know, the main one, and this is always the best way to go when you're arguing is is you just look at the statute and um, the statute. Um, while the government has a really good case for an ordinary um, warrant, right? I mean, you know, we, we know we know who did the shooting. We know that mm-hmm. the iPhone blocked the individual. It's it's not a not a stretch to say that they should have a right to have access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So what we're really arguing about is whether or not Apple can be forced to create this additional software. And so what we look at is um, the last little bit um, here where they talk about um, the, the um, let me just find it here. So the last little bit is um, talking about agreeable to the usages and principles of law. Um, and, and so that's, that's what the concern is, that they've gone beyond the usage and principles. And um, so what Apple's really saying is, you know, you, you have the ability to go and get a law that says um, that we can be forced to do this, but you didn't. Um, and, and they did attempt it uh, about a year, year and a half ago. I remember reading about that, and there was big public backlash. People were very upset with the idea of, um, building backdoors into the technology. So, so um, to clarify, the FBI w- was trying to get Congress to pass a law requiring companies to put backdoors in their technology. That 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 was um, that was something they were discussing, hmm, um, okay. and they they didn't follow through with it. Um, and they actually have uh, another law that either does or doesn't apply depending on who you talk to. It's called the Communication Assistance. For Law Enforcement Act, mm-hmm. um, and that has more to do with uh, um, communication companies, and so Apple may or may not be covered under that. But in that act, um, they don't require carriers to build a backdoor. So Congress has has looked at the issue in the past um, and decided, you know, not to require this extraordinary step. Um, so it's it's not as though Congress has never looked at the issue. The question here, you know, is whether or not Apple, um, you know, fits under this law, which would be good for mm-hmm. Apple, um, or they don't. But Apple can still make the argument: uh, Look, Congress has looked into this, and you know, they've been able to do this in the past. So if they meant to do it here, um, then they then they should have. And the All Writs Act is not meant to create new law. It's meant to enable the courts to enforce the law um, so, so that somebody couldn't just, you know, avoid something based on a, a, what they, I guess what we commonly call a technicality. Um, you know, other things that, that Apple can look at, they can look at uh, First Amendment rights. Um, mm. they're, being, they're being forced to um, put software that's Apple signed software onto an iPhone. So they're really, they're really being asked to um, go an extra step. You know, it isn't just that they're being asked to break into the phone, they're being asked to create software and install it that, um, that is supposedly Apple software, but really wouldn't be right. It's created for the government to break into phones. Um, And in in the past, Courts have looked at and, and decided that uh, computer code can be protected by the First Amendment. That's still kind of up in the air, but you know that's certainly been a case that that has been um, floating out there. So right. yeah, know, that's a possible argument too. I was curious. We're uh, you know we knew that Apple was making the case that this impedes their free speech. Um, do you think, based on you said there have been some cases in the past that have looked at it this way? Do you think that that could be a strong enough argument for Apple? Um, I don't. I don't think it's the winning argument. Uh, you know, it, it's 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 um, it was the Bernstein case, um, and and I think I think the court might go away from that. I don't know that they're going to say that software is definitely you know uh, protected by the First Amendment. Although you have that, you have the extra step of forcing them to create something they didn't want to create. Mm-hmm. And saying that it's a valid Apple software because it can't install on that on the iPhone unless it is signed that way. So right. maybe that's where they have a chance. So if the All Writs Act is used in this way and Apple is forced to create this software, how do you think that the All Writs Act could be used in the future in other ways? Oh, uh, you know, it, yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's really no limit, right? I mean, if they can, well, that's not Apple, what 
the FBI is saying. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they're saying, oh, it's just one iPhone, but they have something like 70 cases they're looking into. So, right. uh, you know, their, their credibility is harmed by, by the fact that, and again, they have the New York case. So, I mean, they're obviously pursuing this. Um, they very cleverly picked, you know, a case with a mass shooting and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's very unsympathetic for Apple, you know, because of course we want to find out, you know, who else might be involved and we want them to go to prison and we want this to stop. Mm-hmm. So right. it's very emotional. So um, you think the FBI is is deliberately pursuing this case to actually set a precedent in spite of what they're saying? They actually want this to be a precedent that they can use yeah, to unlock absolutely. all phones? It, 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 it's it's definitely a political move, and it's meant to create a precedent. I, I, I just don't, you know, if I was advising them, that's what I'd be telling them to do, and, and I think that's exactly what they're, they're intending to do. So, um, you know, sometimes you think, oh, you know, pe- the privacy people are, you know, the, getting the drumbeat out there of, oh, this is too much, and, um, you know, they have the conspiracy theory and all that, but, you know, it's not really hard to imagine um, not only at the FBI having access, but then other government agencies, um, unfriendly governments, um, hackers, um, you know, other folks. And it's not just about the iPhone. It's about any device you have that can be accessed uh, remotely. So your, you know, your smart TV, um, mm-hmm. your computer, um, all of these devices, uh, so if you happen to be one of those people that subscribes to uh, security cameras in your home. Mm-hmm. Or the Amazon Echo. And monitoring. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's significant. You, you know, you think about how easily somebody can access a camera on your phone, a camera on your computer, um, and human beings are, are, the good news is we're wonderfully smart, inventive people. The bad news is, um, some of us are crooks, you know, or or, or dictators, and, yeah. and those are the folks that could get that could re- reverse engineer or obtain um, this information on the iPhone. Um, right. So yeah, it, it it's pretty serious, and and I I think it's not something to be entered into lightly by the, by the government or by Apple. One thing this made me aware of a little more was that right as it stands now, the government can access your iCloud information. I mean, I suppose if they have a warrant, but you know, in in these articles, they're saying the FBI already has accessed all of the iCloud information that was available on these devices. Um, What's the legal steps you have to go through at this point in order to be able to see what's on people's iPhones, because a lot of people do use iCloud backup, and that's not encrypted in the same way. I mean, actually, to clarify for our listeners, you can encrypt your iTunes backup, but most people, I think, are doing the automatic iCloud backup. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a great point, because that is your, your vulnerability. Anything you put in the cloud is only as good as the password and, and the protection that the vendor provides. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so they, they could get into your, your iCloud uh, you know, much more easily, um, or anybody could, as, as we found out from some celebrities that had their accounts hacked. Um, right. So you know, I think what what we would see is if we continue to have the the encryption protection, then um, you would see probably some of the you know criminal elements or um, spies or terrorists might decide not to use the iCloud, might learn from that experience. Uh, you know, and mm-hmm. then you know their only protection would be that encryption on the phone. Um, or, or I should put it better way, as law-abiding citizens might not use uh, iCloud as much um, as well. Um, or, mm-hmm. and I don't need to talk about one particular brand, right? It could be any bag. It could be Dropbox or, or whatever, you know, anything right. that's yeah. vulnerable out there. Because um, basically, once you've created something, it's accessible somehow to somebody who has both money, money and motivation, right? I mean, that's that that's always a risk we have. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, different companies and groups have come out on the side of Apple and on the FBI. Uh, the UN and the ACLU have come out in support of Apple and signed court briefs. I was curious, you know, that besides catching headlines 
Does that actually, is that going to affect the cases at all? Like having um, public support from these companies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I th- well, I, again, I think this is a political situation. So it, it may be that um, the FBI and the administration would be concerned at the negative backlash. Um, and it's, it's, it, it may even, you know, and it is... Yeah, I mean, I guess the short answer is yes. Um, it, it can have an impact. Uh, but you're you saying know, mainly I, because of public opinion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, they, they've filed many briefs, and I think that lends a lot of credibility to the case. You know, so if you have people who are cybersecurity experts, who are public policy experts, mm-hmm. and they're filing amicus briefs, friend of the court briefs, you know, that can't hurt um, Apple and it, it can't hurt the FBI, you know, for the folks that are supporting them as well. Uh, you know, it's um, it's something I think people feel very passionately about and, and um, people are concerned about their privacy, but they're also very concerned about terrorists. Right. So you know, There's actually, I've heard from some of our listeners and readers basically saying, why should I worry about this? I personally don't, you know, I am not doing anything wrong. I'm not a crook. And, you know, so I don't have anything to hide. Like, and if you want your stuff to be private, maybe you have something to hide that you shouldn't be hiding. And basically saying that because they're not a crook, like, it doesn't matter. Can you maybe, you you touched on a little bit, but can you explain, like, to those listeners who might say that, like, why why does it actually matter? Like, why should they be concerned if they're not crooks? It's a it's a great question, and um, and it's one that comes up all the time. Is you know, so why can't they just have roadblocks and search everybody? You know, you know why can't? I mean, because if we could, we would we would greatly limit crime. You know, there's very little crime in, in Nazi Germany, right? Because you had no rights to keep people out of your business or out of your life, um, out of your home. Um, they could search you, you know, so if you want to be very safe, you can give up a lot of freedom. Um, so that's, that's one concern. And, you know, that's one of the arguments set forth um, about why the All Writs Act wasn't intended to give the courts um, or give, I guess, government agencies additional powers. It's meant to give the courts the ability to function properly. It wasn't meant to change all of these protections of the Fourth and Fifth Amendment um, because those are they were the same people at the table. A lot of them that that helped write the Constitution were some of the same people that wrote the All Writs Act. Um, so, yeah. So anyway, get back to your question about why do I care? I'm a law-abiding person. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, seriously, I drive the speed limit. <laughs> I'm a very <laughs> law-abiding guy. Um, but I guarantee you that most people break a law every single day. So, I mean, from that perspective, I, I think we're fooling ourselves. It, you know, law is so complicated, and there's so many things that you could be doing wrong. I mean, so really? Yeah, it's so easy to forget to use your turn signal that one time, or even if you generally drive very <laughs> safely and, like you said, drive the speed limit. Really? Every single day, though? <laughs> yeah, I, I strongly suspect that we, we, we're we just unaware. We're, we're just unaware. Um, there was just a case uh, locally here. I'm in Minnesota. Um, somebody brought uh, beer over the border from a Wisconsin-only brewery or something like that, and they were charged with right. a felony. Wow. You know, so maybe they knew they were breaking the law. I don't know, but, you know, the consequences were severe. Um, so, so that's one thing. Think about the fact that, you know, things you do might be illegal, but think about also the things you do that aren't illegal that you don't want other people to know about because they're just simply your private business or yeah. things that, that happen in your life that take it out of context would look terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had that, that weak moment or you said something sarcastically or satirically, that taken out of context would be, you know, embarrassing and, and hurtful, um, you know, or you were just venting, that kind of thing. Um, or, you know, and the celebrities are, are great examples of situations where, you know, they got their um, their iCloud accounts hacked and now mm-hmm. they're embarrassed and they're being harassed um, on that basis. So they didn't do anything illegal. 
um, at all, but their privacy was violated and that was very harmful. Right. I'm curious. From a legal perspective, how you think Tim Cook has handled the situation coming out with the open letter from the company, you know, going on different uh, major networks for interviews. Um, How would you say Apple is handling this? Yeah, I I think they're doing well. I think you know part of the backstory that people might not know is that that there were negotiations that were kept quiet for, I think maybe two months. So Apple tried to be quiet and discreet about it. I don't think they wanted a, a you know a throwdown in public. Um, and at some point, uh, it became a public fight. Um, so you know I think once it becomes public then I think his going and doing the letter and engaging with his customers and doing the interviews is is fine. Uh, you know, there's some risk because everything you say then later when you go to court can can be used. So that's, uh, that's definitely, um, you know, a risk he's taking anytime you have your client out there talking. <laughs> you don't know what they're going to say. Um, right. So be careful about what he says. Same, same with uh, the FBI director. Of you know things that he's said, he's made a lot of speeches um, that can come back and be quoted in court as well. So that kind of ties into what you see happening next. How long do you think this is going to drag on, and what what do you think will be the conclusion? I you know ultimately I I think you might see a settlement. Uh, you know I I I don't I'm not sure. Uh, you know, one of the things that was interesting was I think the FBI uh, reset a password and actually harmed their ability to get in for more information. Yeah, uh, they, so they did, because otherwise an automatic backup could have been triggered, in which case all of the content that backs up to the cloud on that iPhone would have been available to the FBI right away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that really that really hurts because they... Yeah. They need, they need to show that they have an extraordinary need for this, right? Because we're forcing somebody to do something extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so that's, that's where, I, you know, the, um, the judge in, in New York really looked at, you know, it, it just doesn't rise to because they have other ways to do this. You know, the judge looked and said, you know, in other filings, the, the government's claimed they do have the to defeat encryption and defeat passwords, you know. So I, I think, you know, that sort of points back to my original theory that, that they're they're trying purposefully to set a precedent and they're they're picking the best case they could they could come up with to do that. Well this is all this has been really interesting. I know. Thank you so much for uh, giving us your perspective. Uh, we had a podcast last week where we discussed it, but it's great to have a legal expert with us. Um, is there anything else you would like to to leave us with? No, I guess um, I just really appreciate the opportunity to uh, to talk with you about it, and I encourage people to follow the issue because I think it's it's very important and it affects all of us. Um, I'm an iPhone user too, so I actually have a personal stake in this. All right, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Sean. Thank you. All right, well, that's our show for this week, guys. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you haven't had a chance yet, make sure you go to iphonelife.com slash daily tips to subscribe to our free daily tip. Uh, go to iphonelife.com slash subscribe to subscribe to the magazine and iphonelife.com slash insider to subscribe to iPhone Life Insider. And of course, subscribe to this podcast. We're a bi-weekly podcast now, so we'll be back in two weeks. We've got a fun podcast planned for you guys on nomophobia. So you'll have to see what that is. And you'll be hearing about the new Apple announcement. Oh, this is true. This is true. Thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks, guys.